Welcome to Family Business Today, where we feature prominent local and national family business owners. We also talk to top family business experts to discuss relevant topics, including communications, business culture, family relationships, succession and estate planning, values, as well as conflict resolution. Brought to you by the Tennessee Center for Family Business, I'm your host, Greg Lewis. Our guest today is Dr. Bill Ballette with the Legacy Consulting Group. Bill has over 25 years' experience in the relationship business as a clinical and consulting psychologist. He specializes in conflict resolution, family-owned businesses succession and strategic planning, coaching and developing leaders, career counseling, and relationship issues which arise between partners and family members in privately held companies. Bill assists organizations in the selection and retention of their best talent, designs performance management systems for accountability, and to align individual and corporate goals. He has conducted well over 5,000 pre-employment and executive vocational evaluations, designed and implemented employee and customer satisfaction surveys for over 750 firms worldwide. Bill's clinical work focuses on marriage and family counseling, and he is a skilled facilitator of the family communication process. Bill holds a doctorate in clinical and consulting psychology from Vanderbilt University. Well, hello, Bill. Welcome to Family Business Today. We are so glad that you could join us. Well, thank you, Greg. It's an honor to be with you. Well, that's awesome, Bill. Well, on your website, Bill, you state that all individuals will contribute to organizational effectiveness to the extent that they have broad knowledge of the organization, feel a sense of belonging, and are given the opportunity and responsibility to contribute. So what exactly does that mean? Well, you know, in a family-owned business, you have a lot of different stakeholders, I like to call them, mm-hmm. uh, other than just stockholders. In, in many cases, in a family firm, you have uh, some folks who are owners, others that are just family members who, you know, maybe are in the next generation, um, who don't necessarily have ownership. You have some who work in the business, others who do not. And one of the problems that uh, many family firms have is that some people feel like insiders, some people feel like outsiders. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that is often helpful is to find a way to make everybody feel involved, yet structure it in such a way that, you know, you can't have people making decisions about the business who aren't. Uh, necessarily working there, but to do something to have a structure that everybody feels like they can make a contribution, that they're informed about things. Um, And this is, you know, part and parcel of the work that I do in helping families to sort through uh, what's the best way in which I'm going to communicate the financials to to my children? Um, What is the best way that I can have people involved, but not have them interfere. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's balancing all those things because, um, what family firms often do is, uh, they'll keep information at bay from certain people thinking, well, if they know how much money we have in the bank or they misinterpret, um, they'll, they'll be abusive or, um, 
in many cases, uh, you know, founders or those running the business feel like others might interfere. When you find a way to involve everybody and yet also make sure that there are boundaries that are established, it works a lot better. So that's what I mean. All right. Very good. Very good. Yeah. So, yeah. So. Uh, I hear often from family business owners that say they want to treat all their children equally, whether they're in the business or not. What's the difference in equal and fair treatment, and do you have any examples of that? Well, sure. Uh, one of the famous sayings we, we like to use in family business is uh, fair is not equal. Um, what does that mean? Well, in a family, we like to treat everybody equally. You know, mm-hmm. when when we're handing out cookies to the kids, they're you know they're very very aware of of whether or not theirs has the most chocolate chips in them, uh, and that they get the right amount, allowances, things like that. We we want to treat family members equally. In a business, however, you know when it's separate from a family, we don't pay everybody equally. We pay them according to their contribution. And one of the things that you have to juggle in a family-owned firm is what is fair and how can we achieve fairness but not necessarily um, have everything be equal. You know, if you Mm -hmm. are working in a position that would earn a certain amount of money in the market, we try to match with that market. Uh, One example I have is when I started working with one of the first family firms I ever worked with uh, almost 25 years ago, um, I was doing pre-employment screening for the firm of division managers that they would bring in. And the two brothers that were running the business said to me one day, would you mind doing these, uh, uh, these assessments on the kids that we have working in the business? And I said, well, sure, but they're already working here. What do you want to do that for? And they said, well, you know, we're just kind of curious about uh, we're getting up there in age, which one you might think might be the best leader for the future, and do we have them all in the right positions? And I said, well, sure. That, that was sort of the beginning of me learning how to consult with a family firm. And as I started to interview the kids that were all in their 20s and 30s at the time, uh, I discovered that um, all of them were being paid the same salary. Um, That's not unusual. That's not unusual. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Some had law degrees. Some didn't graduate from college. Some had work experience. Others, you know, had never worked outside before. And that's when I began to – proposed to them that uh, because they were, you know, there was tension around that. Gosh, you know, I I did all this work and I have all this experience and I'm being paid the same as my cousin who, you know, didn't even graduate college and doesn't have any work experience. So we we set up uh, policies for compensation uh, that basically said, look, we'll we'll pay people according to market. And that's fair, but not necessarily equal. Hmm. But when it comes to ownership, um, maybe we'll, 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 we can shore up if we want to give kids extra money for one reason or another, 
we can do it through dividends or other means. Mm. But specifically for working in the business, it's always a good idea to say we do what is fair and objective, especially not just for family members, but for uh, valuable employees that are non-family members because they're going to learn what kids are making. Sure. Very good, very good. So you mentioned this whole uh, thing about assessment. Uh, I, I remember a, a family, uh, uh, next generation, uh, having had conversations with his dad for a number of years about uh, succession and him taking over the business, and he was getting ready to leave out on vacation. And his dad came in and said, I want to uh, – uh, I'm ready to transition the business to him. He says, well, Dad, when I and my wife and three children get back on vacation, um, uh, we'll start talking about it. He said, no, I want to do it now. <laughs> so this this assessment process, um, what – what does that look like from the standpoint of, of recommendations and implementing change uh, to to the business owner himself, the family leader? Well, you know, when when a family is asking for assistance for whatever reason, whether they come and there's uh, you know some conflict going on, or whether they're doing something proactively. Um, the irony in, in family businesses is, you know, they all think that they're unique and they're struggling with, you know, some dysfunctional family dynamics that nobody else in the world is struggling with. And the fact is, is family businesses usually have very similar issues with which they struggle. Uh, it's the dynamics of owning and working together in a profit-making enterprise and, and sorting through, um, family dynamics alongside business uh, issues and objective decisions. So when I enter into the assessment process, um, what, what I first tell them is I want to interview as many people as I can on a one-on-one -on -one basis. I want to talk with you. I want to talk with other family members working in the business. But I also want to talk with all of your spouses. And that raises mm. some eyebrows, you know. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, what, what do the spouses need to be interviewed for? Well, um, what I have to tell them is, you know, the spouses may not work in the business. They may not necessarily be direct owners. Um, but either way, they are stakeholders and they have a great deal of influence on other people. And sometimes I actually find out more information from the spouses than I do the actual people that own and work in the business. Um, so it's it's something that is very, very important. Although the issues are common, the uh, unique dynamics of each family and the kinds of things that they're struggling with, whether it's jealousy of uh, a spouse who says, you know, why does your brother drive around in a brand new Mercedes when we have to drive this clunker around? And why does he have the, you know, the corner office? Um, you know, those are simple little things, but they can sometimes interfere with the sense of fairness and the ability of family members to get along. So I, I try to to really impress upon them the importance of giving everybody an opportunity to give input 
And I even go further than that and say I'd like to interview a few non-family members to get their perspective on the family and how they perceive you. Sometimes they'll have me interview their pastor, (laughs) you know, or their rabbi, um, simply because they have some insights into the family, especially Mm -hmm. a religious family. The other thing that often uh, is important, especially if there is an impending transition from ownership from one generation to the next, is, you know, to do a thorough assessment of estate plans and wills. And sometimes uh, that may mean that I need to also talk with their attorneys, their accountants, um, other people, other professional advisors that are working with them so that I can integrate the work that I'm doing with with um, all the other decisions that are being made or the things that need to be addressed that aren't being addressed. I see. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, uh, Bill, th- this um – uh, you, you t- you've brought up the word conflict uh, uh, several times in this. Do you do you find the conflict uh, is more uh, uh, in what called day to day operations of the business, or do you find that it becomes much much more prevalent when you start raising the head of succession planning? Well, you know uh, that varies according to you know the businesses. Uh, Many, many uh, businesses do uh, come in already with the conflicts that exist between family members, and it may be because they're in the midst of a succession plan that isn't working uh, or because they don't have a succession plan mm-hmm. and they're scrambling around as dad maybe, you know, um, is um, has had a stroke and, you know, they don't have anything in place. Mm-hmm. So. Either way, uh, I guess the best way to put it is whenever there's impending change or there's change going on, it creates stress and often conflict. Mm -hmm. And, you know, why does change create conflict? It's because we don't know quite what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Most family firms and most of us go through our life, you know, doing things the same way we've done them for years. Once there's change, and especially when it affects our income or uh, there are issues with health uh, and we're concerned about the success of the business as well as family dynamics and harmony, it creates conflict and it's uncomfortable and people would rather do what with conflict. In all the employee attitude surveys that you'll, you'll do, all the family surveys that are done, What's the top issue usually that people avoid? Conflict. We don't like it. And really, in a sense, that's what I'm paid to do is to address the conflict and do it in such a way that it isn't so cumbersome and threatening, but instead to make use of it. It's sort of like when a coach says to an athlete when he's struggling with a a formidable opponent, use it. Use that difficulty and challenge to overcome it and to find a way to make it positive. And so, you know, conflict is the most common thing that people struggle with but don't want to address. 
And that's why I often bring it up. Very good, very good. So I think it all goes back to uh, wherever there's conflict. It it usually boils down to there's usually, in the beginning, there's a communications uh, uh, issues going on. So so what suggestions would you have for a business owner out there who's beginning to think about succession planning? What would be the first thing that he or she should do for uh, their children who are active in the business and, and then also for those who are not? Well, you know, the the first thing, and you mentioned communication, that I often recommend is, you know, uh, talk about it. (laughs) Um, Bring everybody together. Be not afraid of bringing everybody together and speaking out loud to those who are involved in the business, those who aren't, and bring them together and have a conversation. Um, And you know, it's one of the things that we often avoid. I often suggest that we take opportunities like uh, when a family is going to be getting together for a holiday, Easter or Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. and take that opportunity to, to pull them aside and say, I want to have a, uh, a meeting to talk a little bit about our business, some of which uh, some some of you are involved in it, others are not, and I want to talk about some of the concerns I have and some of the uh, issues. One is succession planning. I'm getting up there in age, and mom and I are thinking about you know when are we going to retire, and we want to start talking to you about our estate plans, what we think we're going to do, and how we're going to go ahead and plan succession. And to talk openly about the fact that, you know, for example, if none of the kids are working in the business, then I'm going to hire an outsider Mm -hmm. Uh, or if some of them aren't ready for it. And usually when families are encouraged to do this, they find it's easier than they thought. They just, again, avoid it for fear that it's going to bring up conflict. And I always tell them if there is conflict, then call me (laughs) and I'll facilitate the meeting for you. But I, I think that most people overlook the fact that this is not rocket science to learn how to communicate. When you get into some of the logistics of writing policies and, and setting up uh, infrastructure for governance of the business, that's where you may need help. Mm-hmm. But for communication, use your common sense. Get the family together and speak openly. Listen. Very good. Very good. Yeah, listen. So, so – Bill, we talk about this fair. Fair is not uh, is not equal. Um, so, um, I have two two sons, for example, uh, in business with me, um, uh, and I want to keep peace in the family. Uh, so, I decide that I want to make them co presidents or or whatever. Um, should the business owner uh, select uh, which one is going to be the president, uh, how would that go about that process and how do you deal uh, with uh, deal with that whole treat, being treated fairly in making a decision who's going to be the next leader of the business? Well, Greg, that's a great question. It's a fairly common issue that comes up. How the heck do I choose who the leader is going to be among my kids? Yes. Mm -hmm. And 
again, it's this challenge of fair not being equal. Um, you want to choose the one that's going to be most competent in leading it. Mm-hmm. And this is what goes back to the assessment process. Um, you know, I'm going to, when I get involved with a family firm, I emphasize the importance of, you know, especially when succession is a big part of what they're needing to address, is to start taking a look at the characteristics, the skills, temperaments of each of the, the candidates they might be considering. And if that's two brothers that are roughly equal in in terms of uh, competence, skills, experience, uh, and fire in the belly, which is probably the most important thing they need to have, mm-hmm. uh, is is then then to you know that's when it, rubber really hits the road in terms of trying to figure out a unique um, solution. Um, in the case where there's definitely one who is more competent than the other and more well-suited, that's where we have to be very direct and um, to say, look, we'll make you equal owners, but we're going to, you know, and and I'll have the conversation oftentimes with the one who may be less competent uh, or have less experience than their their sibling or their cousin and say, look, be smart. Uh, If he can run the business better than you, uh, and you're an equal owner, you're going to be making more money and have a more successful business. Try to not let your ego get in the way. And that's very hard for a father to say to his son, but it's easier for me to say. Right. Um, in the case where, you know, uh, kids don't get along and they shouldn't be working together, um, or when, you know, maybe both of them are equally competent and you really can't make that decision – That's when you have to start getting creative. And I've worked with a lot of family firms where they'll set up a separate business or acquire a small firm for one of the the, uh, sons to go ahead and run outside and to build and work together. This is where it becomes important to begin formulating the structure for a board of directors, a management team, and a family council, because it's through these entities, whether they're big or small, depending on the size of the business, that you can begin to facilitate a process where this is how we make these decisions. We're going to acquire a new business to suit the two brothers um, and to give one of them the opportunity to build the other business. He may have more entrepreneurial spirit. It's There are endless possibilities, but don't get stuck is what I tell the founder, trying to treat them equally. Very good. Very good. So uh, playing on that as far as getting stuck, uh, we'd like to say that it's very easy and it's a one-and-done process, but there's going to be failures along the way as you attempt to implement change or to establish some structure or new policies or whatever. What, what recommendation would you have to the uh, family business owner who's experiencing some failed attempts as he's trying to implement this change? First and foremost, remain calm. (laughs) You know, um, uh, setbacks, difficulties, um, and failures are a normal part of life. It's how we learn. In fact, if we view them as opportunities, 
instead of seeing them as horrible, um, they they often turn out to be something that helps us to learn. What I often remind uh, founders or senior generation members about who have been running the business for many years is take a look at your past. Did you ever make mistakes? Well, sure. But I don't want my kids to make mistakes. Why not? <laughs> they need to. <laughs> you right. need to them the opportunity to make mistakes so they can learn. Well, if I can prevent it for them, well, that's the challenge. You have to start passing it on to them. And we, we all like for our kids not to make the mistakes we made, right? <laughs> oh, sure, sure. <laughs> but they're going to have to learn. And this is what we have to do is to say mistakes are not necessarily bad. They help us to then repair and learn what not to do next. So remain calm. Uh, take a look at the setback. Treat it objectively. And, you know, when there, there are consequences that need to be placed, I had one family firm that, you know, uh, they lost almost all their market share. And the family, both uh, the senior and next generation, were living off of dividends. And um, they had to make a decision what to do. And the business was not marketable at that point to sell. And so the the uh, younger generation had to give up their dividends, which they were using for private school and so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. The senior generation were living off of it. And, you know, uh, in, in this case, there were four siblings, um, you know, who were retired. And that's what they relied on. So what we had to do was make those sacrifices. And, you know, you could blame one of the kids for not having the foresight. But instead, what this family did by making these sacrifices is they built greater harmony with each other. They began learning how to talk with each other, and they rebuilt the business and actually went into a completely different market segment. So, you know, view mistakes, setbacks as opportunities. Very good. Very good. Well, so harmony – Talking um, uh, with each other, working together through setbacks and whatever. So, um, what have you found are some of the most prominent disagreements that family members uh, deal with, and uh, what what would you suggest to a family uh, uh, leader how to minimize those on the front end? Well, you know, in in the broader sense, but. What family firms struggle with is power, money, and control. Power, money, and control. Who has the power? <clears throat> Who's controlling the money? Who's controlling and making decisions that are going to have an impact on me or other family members? And it has to do with um, a, a sense of not having knowledge of how decisions are being made or not feeling like you're part of things. Mm -hmm. And that is the most common sort of thing. And then it trickles down to like the example I gave before, you know, with a, a, a spouse saying to uh, their husband or their wife, how come your brother, your cousin, you know, has this fantastic house and is driving new cars and, and is making more money than us. And one of the most important things that we have to do 
is learn how to convey information to people about how we're making decisions. Not necessarily get them involved in making the decisions, but to at least inform them that we are, you know, it's sort of like transparency in the government that we like to have. We like to know how our decisions being made. And this is what a family can do is to open the floodgates of sharing information, establishing a forum for family members to be able to learn how decisions are made or to give input and suggestions. Oh, great question. Well, that leads real well into our next uh, uh, question here about uh, uh, governance. So um, we, hear, we hear the words family council. We hear the word uh, board of directors. But um, what's the difference in those two, and what role does governance play in making a successful family business? Well, as we discussed before, it's the overlapping um, and often opposing interests and priorities uh, of the business and those of the family that creates ambiguity, stress, and conflict. So when you um, try to uh, disentangle those things, the best way often to do it is to establish an entity, for example, for the ownership side of the business, and that would be a board. A board of directors in most companies make broad decisions about um, are we going to what, – what, what is our budget going to be for the year? Uh, uh, what capital improvements are we going to approve? Um, if there's a transition from um, the CEO or many of the senior positions, the board often makes those decisions. Uh, they represent ownership. Then to have a separate entity uh, for addressing the management side of the business, the day-to-day decisions about hiring and firing and compensation and day-to-day operations decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, Then the third entity, which often confuses people and they don't quite know what to do with it, is the family council. Well, Mm -hmm. what is that? Well, family council is basically an entity that is representative of various family members. If it's a small family, everybody can be on it. If it's a large family, like when I'm working with uh, a family in the fourth, fifth, and sixth generation, and there are over 100 family members, you can't have a family council with that many. But what you do is you choose uh, representatives of different segments of the family. Um, uh, Say someone who works in the business, a spouse, who doesn't work in the business, um, and someone from each generation. Uh, but basically, the function of a family council is to give everybody an opportunity to uh, be involved at arm's length with the business. They're not on the management team. They're not in the on, on the board of directors making decisions. And I always say that the family council is part of the governance but it doesn't really make decisions. But it's very powerful. Why? Because they're family members. And they have ideas and input, and they bring. And this is where we establish policies. They may say, "Well, you know, we think it's important that every family member have an opportunity to work in the business, and we're going to write a family employment policy." 
and they bring it to the board of directors and they review it and they can approve it. And, you know, I'll give you an example in one case where a family council had established an employment policy and they made the decision that it's probably a good idea to encourage all the kids to finish college before they come into the business. And therefore, nobody could work in the business until they finished their college degree. Mm-hmm. Of course, they grandfathered in the ones that already worked there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, and uh, everybody agreed to that. And um, a couple of years later, um, one of the high school, one of the kids in the next generation who was in high school got into a horrible car wreck and became disabled, both mentally and physically. And, you know, the poor soul was, you know, still mobile and reasonably able to communicate and could have a job, but not anything very special. And he certainly couldn't complete college. So they changed the policy. And this is the beauty of owning your own business. You can always change the policy. But the family council is the forum where we discuss these issues openly rather than not having a place to go. Um, It's the place where, um, for example, charitable giving from the business can be uh, delegated to uh, and they can be involved in that way. Um, Oftentimes we'll have a member of the family council from the next generation sit in on board meetings Someone's elected each year to be able to sit in on board meetings just so they can get a feel for what it's like to hear what's going on. So, again, you know, to sum up, the family council is part of the governance structure. It's an opportunity for input and for everyone to be informed and involved, but it creates a boundary. Very so good. you make a decision and say, well, I don't like this employee. You have to fire them. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. So uh, I, 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 I talk to family uh, business uh, leaders often, and uh, uh, a lot of times when you talk about a board of directors, uh, uh, sometimes they'll say, well, I'm not large enough to have a board of directors. But then secondly, when you suggest that maybe they should have outside directors on the board, uh, they tend to uh, back off uh, real quick. Um, wh- what's the advantage of uh, to someone who may be considering uh, bringing on outside uh, board members? What's the advantage uh, to them of having that outside council? Um, and uh, are th- are they voting, non-voting members? What uh, a little bit uh, deeper on that, Bill? Well, that that's an excellent question, and it really, really varies depending on the needs of the business and on the temperament of the owners. Um, in many cases, a formal board of directors with outsiders is not needed for a very functional small business. It may not be necessary. But in most cases, having outside advisors has a very distinct advantage in that um, sometimes you may not have some of the talent that you need to make decisions. For example, you may be running a manufacturing firm in a market that's shrinking and you know you need to figure out uh, a, a good way to either uh, uh, look at merging with another company, acquiring another company, entering a new market. 
and and sometimes you don't have the expertise on the board. You might want to bring in somebody on the board who has experience with mergers, acquisitions, or in um, uh, in literally creating a new market for the business along the lines of where its expertise lies. Uh, the beauty of having an outside advisor also on the board is that it gives um, family members who may sometimes get into a disagreement, uh, someone who can break a tie or give some perspective or, or, or advice, uh, someone who's a trusted member of the community, maybe from the university or in another business that's non-competing. Um, as far as voting or non-voting, that varies as well. Um, when you bring in voting directors, it's a very formal process, but um, it's not necessarily uh, needed in all cases. Sometimes you can have advisors. I serve on a lot of family uh, business boards as an advisor, but I don't vote. I just give input <laughs> to help facilitate the meeting and um, help them navigate through difficult issues. Uh, other uh, members of the board might be voting or non-voting. The structure depends on the needs of the business, but I can't emphasize how valuable it is to have some sort of outside input to give fresh perspective, expertise, to break ties, to help family members uh, see that you know someone there is being objective. Very good. Thanks, Bill. So, so you've talked about professional advisors. It's very, very important to, to have that. And, and so most business owners have attorneys, CPAs, they have a banker, investment advisors, um, uh, et cetera, that are working with their family business. So how, how do you as a business owner work with this group collectively to obtain the succession goals that you want for your business, uh, uh, especially when maybe you're re you're receiving different kinds of suggestions or recommendations uh, on uh, what you're doing. Uh, excellent point, um, and that's often what I find when I begin working with family firms. Is you know they'll have uh, someone who uh, works with the business as an attorney. Uh, they'll have a CPA firm. They'll have um, uh, an investment advisor. And the problem is, is they don't talk to each other. Um, and when the business owner is planning to make, uh, you know, to either sell the business or transfer it to the next generation, or they're making a big investment decision, um, their advisors often don't talk to each other because they're threatened by each other. Right. They each they each want to be the quarterback. <laughs> they each want to be the major decision maker that's trusted, and they're afraid, oftentimes, of bringing in other advisors who might take over their role or suggest someone else. And what I always recommend to business owners is make sure that your advisors. Um, are communicating with each other. Encourage them and tell them that part of their job is to make sure that they have plans that they are helping you with integrated with other plans. And 
to encourage them to work with each other. And oftentimes that's what I end up doing is bringing together all the professionals in a room. Now, of course, that can be very expensive, (laughs) bringing all the people in the room. But if they are trusted advisors that have been working with a firm for many years, I tell them, you owe it to this client to uh, come together. And um, even if the business owner has to be charged for that time, it's well worth its weight in gold. Uh, to have those things coordinated because it's going to cost you less in the end. Mm -hmm. You have disparate advisors taking you in different directions. It's just going to cause problems. Hmm. So great, great advice, uh, Bill. So um, I was talking to a uh, business owner who's been in business for over 30 years and is beginning to uh, talk about succession plans. And, um, you know, when he started the company, uh, he ha- has a had a has a CPA that's been with him for thirty years, uh, uh, a small CPA firm, whatever. But it's been his trusted advisor, his, his dear friends, been to football games together, done life together, children probably go to the church, uh, same church together, and everything else. But moving into the succession goals that you're wanting for your business, sometimes that person may not have the expertise. Or knowledge to be able to help help that person to get to that successful uh, goal, and of course, uh, uh, the business owner doesn't want to hurt his friend's feelings or whatever. What advice uh, would you give to someone out here that's listening today that 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 may be dealing with this uh, particular issue as they're making plans? Well, what you're talking about here is uh, the 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 sort of thing that. Uh, I often give the example that a business owner often has to do with one of his children, and that is show tough love. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, And and it's difficult for us to do, but, you know, I think people respond if we're direct with them and say, look, you know, in in the case of the example you're giving, to, to sit down with your friend and to say, I have to tell you, um, our friendship has been just so invaluable to me, uh, both on a personal and professional level. You have been just one of the greatest assets in my life. Uh, You know my family. uh, We respect each other. You've helped me immensely. I have some decisions that I have to make going forward, and I know that you probably would like to be involved in some level. But I feel like it's important for me to make an objective decision and I'm bringing in another advisor or I'm going to go ahead and make this decision on my own. And I hope you can respect that. There's no other way other than being direct and helping people to understand or to give them an appropriate role, give them input, but not necessarily have them make the decision. It's sort of like when you have to tell your son. I love you, but you're fired. You know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's great. Thanks, thanks, Bill. Well, um, we're winding down here, but a couple of other uh, real quick questions here. I I know that in my family, uh, been in family businesses uh, business for, you know over thirty years, and um, and and uh, talking with families, you know that Sunday dinner or whenever you're getting together as a family, there's usually food involved, meal and 
conversation and laughter and everything else going on. I, I know you have several children yourself, but tell tell me what, what uh, when y'all get together as a family, what do y'all talk about around the dinner table? Uh, are you asking me what my family does? Are you asking me what families that work in business together should talk? About? Well, first of all, uh, uh, you know you're in business, so uh, uh, do you talk about business? Do you talk about uh, uh, your children, or uh, you know what 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 do you guys talk about around the dinner table? Well, you know, gosh, um, <laughs> one of the one of, one of the things that we do with our family that's one of our favorite things at the dinner table is we ask everybody to go around and, and say what the best and worst part of their day was. <laughs> and that could be business, right? <laughs> <laughs> that could be. You know, kids in school, the teacher, you know, uh, it really gave me a hard time. And, you know, the greatest thing was coming home. And, uh, you know, and, and I may relate uh, something that, that uh, I had a challenge at work that day, or it could just be anything. But... Uh, you know, to stay to stay in tune with our topic at hand in a family firm, one of the things you have to be careful about is allowing uh, family conversation around the dinner table to get too embroiled in the business. Mm-hmm. I think it's important for family members to spend dinner together talking about family, talking about different sorts of successes and failures and and. Uh, having discussions about family members and to avoid talking at the dinner table about the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, just as I am not going to sit there and monopolize the dinner table and talking about what I did all day, uh, consulting and counseling people. <laughs> right, 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 right. And, you know, I think it's an idea. Go ahead. You know, really relate to each other and feel safe talking about their highs and their lows and, you know, breaking bread together. Very good. Each other's company. Very good. Well, on this whole top, topic today, what, uh, any, uh, any suggested reading you might uh, um, uh, offer our listeners uh, today that uh, uh, might be a good, uh, good read for them? Oh, goodness gracious. There's so much to read out there on this topic. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, you know, depending on what your needs are, in the general realm of family business, um, the Family Firm Institute has uh, a whole listing of, of publications that you can acquire. Great. There are many classic books um, that, you know, are written by some of the uh, key people in the in the family consulting industry. Uh, uh, their names are, you know, Ward and Bork and... <laughs> yeah. And, and all that sort of thing. Uh, you know, one of the things I, I'd recommend is that uh, people uh, get involved with Tennessee Family Center for Family Business, uh, where uh, I know that you're trying to build a library and have resources. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, finding out what publications are going to be most useful. I have my own personal library in my office, and I often... Uh, lend out books, articles. Uh, there are a multitude of things out there, but I don't really have a favorite book. Okay. It depends on the needs of the individual. Sure. Some are, you know, business oriented. Others are softer and talk more about family dynamics. Mm-hmm. Very good. But, Very good. Well, anything else you'd like to add before we uh, finish up here this th- today, uh, Bill? Well, 
The only thing I'd like to say is uh, thank you very much for having me on. Um, I'm really impressed with your efforts to establish this center. It's uh, something sorely needed in Middle Tennessee. Uh, I'm glad to be uh, asked to participate. And for all the family businesses out there, remember the best part of working in your family business is being able to work with your family. There you go. Great, great. It's also the worst part. (laughs) It is. But it's all, all about communications is really important. Well, Bill, thank you for being our guest on Family Business Today. Uh, to learn more about the Legacy Consulting Group, uh, visit their website at www.tlcg.org. To our listeners, thank you for joining us for the Family Business Today podcast, brought to you by the Tennessee Center for Family Business located in Nashville, Tennessee. We are an association of family businesses who work together to grow our businesses through relationships, education, and successful generational transition. If you have a specific topic that you would be interested in us having a program on, send us an email to info at tncfb.com. To learn more about the Tennessee Center for Family Business, visit our website at www.tncfb.com. Until next time, thanks for joining us.